0: It makes a lot of news these days. Corruption in major business corporations. Can the just succeed? What about business ethics? This is Evidence and Answers with Christian apologist, author, speaker, and scholar, Pat Zugarin. I'm Kevin Harris. Today, a special guest discusses business ethics. Can the just succeed? He's got a background in business and can speak very clearly to this issue. And I can guarantee you that even if you're not a business person, you're going to get a whole lot out of this discussion of ethics from a Christian standpoint today with Pat's special guest. And a quick reminder that as you listen today, you can get many resources on a multitude of topics when you go to evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Check it out now. Pat?
1: Thanks, Kevin. Yes, we're talking about business ethics today. Can we apply biblical principles in the business world and success? seed is this too idealistic is this realistic well with me today is steve cable steve is my colleague at probe ministries he is a research associate and also a board member with probe ministries now prior to joining probe steve spent 27 years in the telecommunications industry as a communication systems engineer and in executive management For 21 years, he worked with Rockwell International. During his tenure with Rockwell, Steve held positions in engineering and executive management, including director of engineering, division general manager, and VP of global wireless. And in 1985, Steve was named engineer of the year for his division now after leaving Rockwell Steve spent six years as a corporate officer for Viasat serving as the vice president of strategic development and then vice president and general manager of the broadband systems division so he comes with a lot of experience in the business world and Steve welcome to the show
2: thank you Pat I'm very glad to be here and look forward to talking to you
1: well we're talking about business ethics today and we're asking the question can the just succeed can we apply biblical principles in the business world and succeed.
2: Steve, is this realistic? Well, first of all, it's a very realistic question because people have a lot of concern about that when they look at the business practices that we see going on here in America and around the world today. But when we start applying biblical principles and we we look at it, yes, it is realistic.
1: Well, Steve, everybody cheats. Everybody pushes the envelope Everybody tries to get ahead. You know, why, why do you ask the question, can the just succeed?
2: I think the reason we need to ask that question is we know that most Christians are called to be living Christ in the workplace. They're called to be a part of the system that generates the things that we need as an economy, as a world to live on. If we're going to be in that workplace, we hopefully we're going to be just. And the question is, can we live a Christian life, apply our Christian principles, be consistent in that, and still be successful?
1: well let's talk about the relationship between capitalism and christianity it's pretty tough to ab- apply biblical principles in a capitalistic system isn't it
2: well that certainly does create some some problems you know right now in the christian community you probably have two extremes you have one group of people who equate capitalism with christianity and they would say any you know any attack on the capitalism is attack on christianity And you have others at the very opposite end who would say that christians should not participate in capitalism because capitalism is all about greed um so really to to get to the bottom of that we need to understand the definition of capitalism and then how does christianity relate to that steve
1: what is the definition of capitalism here
2: well in simple terms capitalism is an economic system where the means for producing and distributing goods are controlled and owned by private individuals or corporations rather than by governments or social entities. And so the, the decisions that are made about how those resources are used are left to individuals or private organizations as opposed to government. That's kind of the underlying concept of capitalism. So what is Christianity? how does Christianity relate to that? Christianity is agnostic toward capitalism as an economic system. If you look in the the Old Testament, there are some directions provided about private property is certainly a concept in the Old Testament, but also providing for the needs of of society and and the poor and the Levites is, is also included in the Old Testament. As you look at the New Testament, the instructions on how we're to live out Christ are instructions that are given in the context of the economic system in which the Christians found themselves living, the Roman Empire. And you don't find a lot of instruction about how should we change the economic system rather how should we live in that economic system it's not christianity but the interesting thing is that capitalism succeeds in an environment where christian and christian principles prevail Um, max weber in his classic book Mm -hmm. the protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism pointed out that 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 the protestant ethic of the puritans who founded america uh, really made capitalism take off as they applied christian principles in being good stewards of the capital resources that they owned and had control of.
1: You know, Steve, I was teaching a seminar and a young businessman came up to me and he said, you know, actually, biblical Christianity, if we applied it, would present a system of socialism or communism, you know, to which I disagreed. But how would you answer Uh, anyone that presents that we're to just share everything equally like in the book of acts
2: is that what socialism is by the way is that a good working definition of socialism well i think a good working definition of socialism is one where the society is the prime uh, driver or or element and so that everything is done for the good of society as a whole and some group within that society then has to decide what that greater good is and that's where socialism fails by the way is that there's always some group that takes the power to themselves to decide what's going to be best for everyone and as you know as the Soviet Union did a pretty good job of demonstrating they usually don't do a good job and a lot of people have very little and the system generally collapses i think there's a big difference uh, pat between what we see in the book of acts and what we're called to do in the christian body and what's we just talked about as a definition of socialism In the book of Acts, out of love and compassion, those who had resources were making it available to the many people there who had remained in Jerusalem that did not have resources to live on. and So they were providing for one another, and they were sharing out out of the free will choice of their heart to do so. There was not some group. The apostles didn't come in and put a tax on everyone that came to Christ and said, turn over your goods to us in order to come to Christ. Rather, turn yourself over to Christ, and then that, then they were led to, sh- to share. Whereas socialism, you're giving the power to the government or to this controlling power to basically control all the goods and determine who gets what. So there's a big difference between the two of those. And in a sense, uh, I once heard uh, w- one person say that you know socialism or communism is assuming that man is basically good and that out of, the, out of that common goodness that they're going to be able to create a utopia – by sharing everything under the control of the the government. Whereas uh, capitalism recognizes that we live in a fallen world, but I don't fully buy into that. That's what we're talking about today is that in fact, when property and capital are controlled by those who have Christian principles, we see good things happening in the society and in the economy.
1: So in capitalism, I mean, there are some biblical principles there in which the individual is responsible for his production. I think Luke teaches, you know, workman is worthy of his wages and also responsible how to distribute that. Whereas in communism, that's surrendered over to the government or some kind of group, isn't it?
2: That's a very good point. One of the things that Christianity teaches us is individual responsibility for the stewardship of the resources that God has entrusted to us. Whereas communism basically takes that individual responsibility away from everyone. And what what we've seen is it takes away their motivation for being productive and and for contributing to society. One simple way to look at the difference between, say, capitalism and and Christianity that I, I look at is when you say, what's the purpose of business? Well, pure capitalism is to make a profit. For a Christian, it's to honor God. Colossians tells us that we're to work heartily as the Lord, that our purpose is to honor God, but to do it with sincerity of heart, to really try to please our, our master, or our employer. The measure of success in a pure capitalist view would be wealth. Well, from a Christian perspective, the measure of success is to be, is to be able to generate wealth, to generate m- material to enable us to give and to help others. And we think about What's the accountability? Well, in a pure capitalist view, it's I'm accountable to myself. It's all about self. As a Christian comes into that economic system, we look at ourselves as being accountable to God. So there are some very significant differences, but they're not incompatible in the sense that Christians can be very good stewards of capital resources that are entrusted to them.
1: Looking at the business culture today, Steve, would you say that injustice is rampant in today's workplace? I mean, it's all over the headlines. Martha Stewart, Enron, Arthur Anderson. Even uh, just this past weekend, we saw some injustice or corruption in professional football. What do you have to say about that, Steve?
2: Well, I think we can definitely say that the temptation and the following through on that is evident in all aspects of business. And so we can look at Bill Belichick and the, and the Patriots and we say, why does someone so successful need to do something like spy on, the, on another team but yet that's just the tip of the iceberg of what's going on across the country. One of the things I think we should think about, Pat, is a lot of the emphasis is placed upon the big names, the CEOs, the big companies, but let's just think about just the average individual. Let me just give you a couple of examples here. Uh, First of all, in the workplace, a recent survey in 2003 indicated that 48% of the people who responded had acted unethically or illegally in the last year on their job, and that 56% of them Feel pressure from their company to act unethically or illegally. That is a very high number and very disturbing. Let's just look at the area of education. How does that flow down to our children? A recent survey indicates that 74% of college students have indicated they have engaged in serious cheating in the last year, and 80% of them have cheated at least once. Look at another area music piracy. 92% of teenagers believe that music piracy is not wrong. So when we're creating that attitude amongst our children, then it's not too surprising that as we get into the into the workplace that we see a significant uh, problem uh, with people not acting in what in an ethical manner.
1: Steve, what is the impact of the lax attitude towards ethics in the workplace?
2: Well, it costs all of us, Pat. It's, I like to call it the greed tax. And it, it hits us in a number of different ways. I mean, one area that it hits business that gets passed on to all of us is just in the lost revenues from corporations, from employees stealing from the corporation, from employees stealing their time, from stealing resources. And so that's certainly an area where it costs us. Another area that it costs us that people don't think about a lot is that we spend a lot of time on lawyers and contracts. And in my experience in the business world, about 80 percent of the time you spend putting together a contract, is dealing with the terms that, that you put in the contract as to to protect yourself against the other party not living up to their word not acting in an ethical fashion and so we spend literally billions of dollars a year in this country on effort to create all of these terms and clauses to protect ourselves from people acting unethically and then a very public example is the law the Sarbanes-Oxley Law, which was passed in response to the Enron, WorldCom type of uh, scandals, that creates additional layers and levels of reporting for all public corporations to protect us from issues like Enron. But the result is that even very ethical corporations are spending billions of dollars more across the board uh, in order to um, basically pay for uh, the sins of of the few who... Um, Took advantage of the system.
1: Well, Steve, you know, you bring up a good point. You know, how do people with good intentions end up acting unethically and illegally?
2: Well, you know, Pat, I think most people that you would talk to in the workplace would say that they're good people, that I'm a good person, and that my intent, my desire is is to be ethical and to live a good life. Uh, And yet we see from the survey results I shared with you and we see from situations like Enron that that doesn't always play out. And let me list three three areas, and then we might talk about Enron a little bit as well. And the first one is is that we tend to do what's most convenient. If it's going to be a problem to be ethical, then I'm going to look for an alternative that's less trouble. A convenient lie can cover a mistake. I like what John uh, Maxwell said. He said, ethics is about how we meet the challenge of doing the right thing when that will cost us more than we want to pay. And so there are situations that come up where the cost of doing the right thing is more than we want to pay. It's more convenient to to cut the corner, to uh, tell the lie, to to do something that's unethical. Uh, The second thing is we do what we must do to win. And we just mentioned the New England Patriots in that situation. But the idea of stealing uh, somebody else's signals in baseball, football, uh, other uh, uh, sports is not new. The idea of the pitcher sneaking in the uh, Vaseline on his glove is sometimes celebrated rather than seen as a a negative uh, because they're seen as being a very competitive person. And so there's this desire that nice guys finish last, this idea that nice guys finish last. Everyone's doing it, and if I'm going to be able to to compete, I have to do it. That's something that really impacts American businesses when they look at competing overseas because oftentimes the idea is, well, other countries are – uh, their governments are actually encouraging and supporting them in doing illegal uh, actions, what things that would be illegal in the United States in order to get the contracts. So we're going to have to do that, too, in order to compete. So it's very easy to say, well, in order to compete, I'm going to have to uh, to cheat. And the third one is that we rationalize our choices with relativism. Uh, when we start applying it to ourselves, something that we think is wrong for somebody else, and that we, we would be very upset if it, if another Company or somebody we were buying a product from did it to us, we can justify it when we do it because if it's good for me, then it must be good. And so it's a little bit of postmodernism sleep, uh, slipping in here uh, as well when we, when we, uh, decide what's true and what's not true
0: often hear the rationalization especially when it comes to somebody really successful like Microsoft somebody say look it's not gonna uh, make a big difference if I pirate this or if I copy it because look how
2: rich those guys are that's a rationalization that I I hear quite often that's a very good point and that's a good example of how we rationalize uh, our choices because if somebody was doing that to me and i had spent thousands of hours creating a software product or or recording some music and somebody was was stealing it from me and and reusing it and then i would think very <laughs> i would be very upset but that same person who would be upset can look at that big corporation and say well you know they've got so much money that that it won't make a difference and there's two things they're missing there and the first thing that they're missing is that when you have millions of people saying, well, it won't make a difference, they've got so much anyway, well, then it does start making a big difference. And basically what it does is it takes away their ability to innovate and create new products. It takes away their motivation to do so if they're not going to get a fair return for the effort and the innovation that they're putting into it. The second aspect that it does is it actually devalues me. I'm devaluing myself by lowering myself to the level of saying well stealing's all right for me as long as it's st- stealing from the right person.
1: Steve, you know you bring up a good point, you know, individually okay, I can pirate this software or whatever, but you brought up a good point. If everyone in society or the culture followed the same ethic you did, then we'd be in trouble. So we've got to think on a bigger picture than just individually.
2: Uh, absolutely. We we want to have a system that's fair, where people are being rewarded for innovation, for hard work, for productivity, and we're encouraging people to to do better and better because that creates more for all of us. And then as Christians, as we're being more productive, that gives us more resources in order to be able to, to help those who cannot participate in the system.
1: Well, Steve, what does it look like for a corporation to apply Christian principles in the business
2: world? From a business standpoint, you're basically applying the golden rule and the basic principles of, of scriptures. You want to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That means you don't deceive, you don't covet, and you don't steal. And you're not out there misrepresenting your product. You're not out there coveting to get something that you didn't earn. And we Enron's a good example of that. We could talk about that later if you want. And you're not stealing. You're not breaching your contract. You're not acting. In, you're not acting with a lack of good faith because stealing is not just taking something from someone stealing is also when you commit that you're going to provide a good or a service at a certain level and you don't do it then you're essentially stealing from that person so don't deceive don't covet don't steal what does that look like from a corporate standpoint it means your products you're you're really achieving to have superior value performance and quality to really put out a good product that does what you say it's going to do you're concerned about your customers that they're getting full value for their money you're concerned about your employees that you value their contribution that they're treated with fairness that you're concerned about their quality of life you're concerned about your investors that you provide them open and honest communication but you're not just totally driven by your investors uh, to so that they can make a quick buck and get out you're also concerned about your competitors you know, that's one of that's that issue we brought up earlier if you're going to apply a christian business ethic as a corporation you want to compete but you want to compete fairly you can be aggressive but you want to be fair and you want to be looking for the overall best development of productivity and value within your industry. And finally, one area that gets talked about quite a bit today from companies like Walmart is how do you treat your suppliers? Are you gonna treat your suppliers equitably, encourage them to continue to be rewarded for their productivity and hard work?
1: Steve, you know, I often get this scenario. You know, I may be honest and ethical, but I know the company I'm dealing with, as we're dialoguing, I know they're lying to me. I know they're looking to take advantage of me. I know that they're looking to cut corners. They're not really being honest with me at the table here. How do I respond as a Christian in business?
2: Well, I'd say there's two parts to that, uh, Pat. And, and the first part is in that particular situation, if you are in a situation where you're, in a sense, forced to do business with that with that entity, number one is that you should ensure that you act with the greatest degree of integrity. But number two, that you don't act naively, that you do put things into place, uh, that you don't uh, put yourself in a situation to be irreparably harmed uh, by that relationship. The second part of that is over the long term is that you don't want to continue to do business with either customers or suppliers, where that is the dominant culture. Uh, Oftentimes in a company, you may run into uh, one or two people who are acting in a way that's significantly outside the normal bounds for that company. Uh, And if that's the case, then you want to make that company aware so that you can deal with other people in the future. If it's endemic to the culture of that company, then in the future, you don't want to, to continue to deal with them. And we can talk about that also when we think when we look at, well, how do companies do that that try to act ethically in these situations?
1: What does it look like for an individual then to apply Christian principles in the business world?
2: Well, of course, you're still starting with the same basic uh, principle of treating others the way you want to be treated. Uh, And I mentioned this verse earlier, but as in my work career, this verse has meant so much to me in Colossians 3, uh, 22 through 25, when it says in all things or to obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work hardly, as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. So as an individual you want to start out each day remembering it's the Lord Christ that I'm serving here. I'm working heartily as under the Lord, but I am working not just, you know, not like Eddie Haskell or or someone that's just trying to appear like they're concerned about their employer doing well, but someone who is sincerely desiring to make their employer uh, look good and to do well. That means that we're going to choose integrity over convenience, that we're going to respect others, and we're going to offer some grace, too. And I think that's an important thing is sometimes Christians get in the workplace and they act like Angela on the office where they're judgmental of everything everyone else does and they come across as offering no grace at all. And so, even though we're, we want to be very concerned with honoring Christ and acting with integrity, we also want to be offering grace and love to those around us, recognizing that they're struggling with the same pressures that we are. And we want to set an example by excellence. And that's one thing that I really want to, to stress is that as Christians in the workplace, people are looking to us to learn about Christ and when we're setting an example of excellence in the work that we do and the attitude that we do it with and the the way we approach it that is a testimony that goes far beyond what we know is going to happen my experience has, has been pat that um, people have come to me to talk about my testimony to talk about Christ when they view how i've dealt with when things went bad in the workplace when We lost a big contract or we were having troubles with the schedule and there was a lot of pressure. The way we act in that period of time of continuing to offer grace, continuing to uh, have our hope in Christ, a time when we can have a real testimony. And so that's one of the things about being a Christian in the workplace is that there are going to be some tough times. And those are actually special times, I think, that God can really use uh, our witness. And a final thing is... We need to balance our time commitment under God's leadership. God has not called us to be a workaholic, particularly if we're a A husband or a mother. He will help us to balance our time. And when people see that in our lives, that we have a balance, uh, that's a witness as well.
1: Well, Steve, in our final minute, I'm going to ask you a big question. And we're going to ask you to summarize it as best you can in one minute. Can companies and individuals applying these principles hope to survive and succeed while swimming in a sea of sharks? I mean, everyone is cheating. Everyone is pushing the envelope. Can companies succeed applying biblical principles?
2: Not surprisingly, God's principles work. Uh, Jerry Fleming, in his book, Uh, Profit at Any Cost, did a study of a number of companies looking at those who behaved ethically in a particular industry as compared to those who did not. And what he discovered is that in the long run, that most of the time those companies that acted ethically in the marketplace far outperformed the average performance in their industry over a long period of time. So if you want to succeed in the long term, that not only the Bible tells you, but also the evidence shows that applying biblical principles, Christian ethics, to the way you operate a business uh, will uh, promote success. It is not a guarantee of success, because God does not guarantee us business success in this world. But it is shown to be a part of the formula for long-term successful corporations.
1: My guest has been Steve Cable, my associate at Probe Ministries and also a board member of Probe. You can visit Steve at probe.org. You can read his articles and also you can invite him to speak at your businessmen's fellowship. He speaks throughout the world on these kinds of topics. Steve, thanks for being with us this week.
2: Uh, absolutely, Pat. My pleasure.
0: We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccarin on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few.
1: There's a new feature On our website Called iShows Where you can download Each individual show For just 250 dollars On our website EvidenceAndAnswers.org Just like you download A song on iTunes These are iShows That you can download Each individual show You want And we've got some Of the top scholars On
0: there Evidence and Answers Is supported by you The listener Who appreciates A program that gives Good answers To good questions Our calling is to do What the Apostle Paul did On Mars Hill in Athens He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccarin. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidence and Answers.